Hi, welcome to Madison Bookbeat. I'm Angie Trudell-Vasquez. Today we have the pleasure of speaking with poet Ron Sersman about his delightful collection, 100 Umbrellas, published by Bent Paddle Press out of Middleton, Wisconsin. Welcome, Ron. I would like to read your author biography to set the tone for our discussion and to let listeners know what is coming up next. Okay, well, thank you, Angie, and thank you for the invitation to be Well, I have to say, you are our last guest, and I couldn't think of a better um, poet to close our session with um, than you. Author biography. Ron Serswin is the author of two chapbooks, A Ragged Tear Down the Middle of Our Flag, a Locofo chap published by Moria Books in 2017, and A Little Rain, A Little More, published by Bent Paddle Press in 2018. His poems have appeared in After Hours, Bramble Literary Magazine, Hummingbird, Magazine of the Short Poem, Poetry Hall, and Rosebud Magazine, and online at the American Journal of Poetry, Big Toe Review, Mariah, Inth Position, uh, Corstellani, Right Hand Painting, Pointing, Shampoo, Starline, and Third Wednesday. Some of his collages were published in Ope, a pop-up anthology of Madison writers and artists, and in Moss Piglet. His poem, Where We Stand, was included in the anthology Sheltering with Poems, Community, and Connection during COVID, published in 2021. Ron is the owner of Aval's Books, LLC, which sells used and out-of-print books on the internet. He serves on the board of directors of the Council for Wisconsin Writers. Ron, it is a pleasure to have you. Um, I always ask people to ground us in ceremony by reading the opening of your book, um, or their book, which tells us a little bit about how this book came to be. And specifically, um, I'm talking about the part that is right before the poems start. And, oh, okay. I think I know. I think I know what you're referring to. Um, and again, thank you for uh, for inviting me. After the death of the eccentric composer and writer Eric Satie, his brother Conrad, along with a few close friends, entered his squalid room in our school and discovered, among other things, over 100 umbrellas, many of which had never been used. The poems in this book were inspired by Eric Satie's whimsical and absurdist performance instructions scattered throughout his piano works. Much of the text was appropriated from online sources, with additional text listed and rearranged from Broliology, a history of the umbrella in life and literature by Marion Rankin. The eight lines in each poem represent the average number of ribs commonly used in the construction of an umbrella. Thank you. This was so fascinating, just this little portion that you started with. Um, Can you tell us about how this book came to be? What was its journey? Um, Well, it started um, during uh, during the pandemic. Um, we were going through uh, COVID. We were going through lockdown. Uh, we were staying indoors. And we, we were in the midst of the Trump administration. <clears throat> so the times, to me, felt very surreal. And um, my personal response to all that, all that was going on was to embrace the absurd. Um, I've always had an interest, or I've, I've long had, in uh, Dada and Surrealist art and uh, literature. And I was familiar with Satie's music, but not so much his writing. So um, having nothing much else to do, I began reading whatever I could find by and about him uh, in English. And I was immediately taken uh, by his life story, and I found his writings um, funny, absurd and at times perplexing, much like the man himself. And two things in particular struck me. First, 
his odd or absurd performance indicators that he wrote on his music scores. The performance indicators are the directives to the to the performer as to how the piece, how the conductor wants the piece to be performed, and um, whether it's um, tempo or dynamics, direction such as allegro or andante or pianissimo. Satie would write things like "Be visible for a moment" or "Dance inwardly" mm-hmm. or Look at yourself from far away, and there were there were numerous of these of these funny, odd, absurd performance indicators in uh, in his book uh, or the book I was reading about him um, called a, a Mammal's Notebook. And in the biography that I was reading at the time, um, I also uh, uh, was taken by the fact that when he died, after he died. His brother and two friends entered his apartment, which no one was allowed to enter. And in going through his things, they found, among other things, over 100 umbrellas. Hmm. Most were still in their packaging and were never used. And when I saw that phrase, 100 umbrellas, I thought, I'd like to do something with that. I'd like to either write a poem with that as a title or a book of poems with that as the title. That's fascinating. And why a hundred umbrellas? Why one, not one more, one less? You know, that that's the kind of thing, like, I'd be like, why is that? Um, well, you know, when they, when they specifically said in, in their telling of the story that, that they found over 100 umbrellas, there was something about that phrase, 100 umbrellas, mm-hmm. that, I, that I thought, you know, just, just stuck with me. And I thought, the other, the other thing was, um, was the challenge... Could I write 100 pieces, mm-hmm. 100, you know, poems? Because uh, I'd never, I'd never set out to do anything like that before. Mm-hmm. So there was the challenge, the writing challenge of trying to, to, uh, to do that. Well, and you know, people are listening, so they can't see. But when I went to go get the book, I was like, oh my goodness, it is so tiny. It looks like a CD cover almost, right? But it's thick. Right. And it's delightful. Like, it's lovely in the hand. And I really looked at, like, the focus that it's in the cover. It has 100 umbrellas, and there's lines that are going through that looks like it's a, a heavy rain, and the umbrella is upside down. And on the back cover, it's closed. And, again, the lines are going down. And then I started really, like, examining the um, first page and... It's fascinating because, again, we have the umbrella, but it's closed. And in the very back, it appears to be open, but upside down. And then there's this little man's face. And I'm like, who is this man who is upside <laughs> down <laughs> and interspersed with the umbrellas in the front and back? So it's fascinating. And it, it actually has more questions than answers, I think, this entire collection. And so well, you, can, I, can you, I tell you? Yes, please. Ahead, I'm sorry. I was going to say, can I tell you about the about the actual production of the book? I want to hear all of it. Yes. Okay. Um, when I when I got underway writing it, I knew immediately in my head that I wanted the book to be small and square. Hmm. And I think I think part of that was the fact that I had decided that the poems were going to be eight lines long. In some cases, a line is no more than a single word. Which, as I say, as I say in the introduction, represents the eight ribs of a standard umbrella. Mm-hmm. So, I, so I knew the poems were going to be small. So I wanted the book to to not be uh, too unwieldy. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing I wanted was that for there to be just one poem on a page. Mm-hmm. And um, at the time when I was working on this, I was sharing it with a number of poet friends. Uh, among them. Uh, Steve and Jeannie Tomasco, who also happen to be the the founders, and uh, Steve is the editor of Ben Paddle Press. They had done my previous book. But at that point, I was just looking for feedback on the writing. And uh, as we began to talk about it, I told Steve that I, I felt very strongly that there had to be an umbrella on the front and the back 
but they had to be the opposite of what you would expect. Hmm. Instead of the umbrella upright, I wanted it upside down in the front. And instead of open, I wanted it closed on the back. And uh, sometime later in our conversation, Steve suggested the the lines on the book, which represent uh, uh, the rainfall. Mm-hmm. And then uh, just as we were finishing up, he's the one that came up with the idea for the end papers. So it was a really lovely collaborative uh, uh, experience working with him again. Hmm. So who's the man who's upside that's, down? That's Eric. That's actually a, 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 an illustration or image of Eric Satie. I love it. I wondered about that. I, I had some other thoughts about who it could be, but that's great. I, I think of poetry as a visual art form, and this book is just delightful in the way it's shaped, in the way it's constructed. Um, and there were times where I was laughing out loud as I was reading it. Um, so thank you. I wanted to hear about the journey of the book. How long um, did it take you to write these hundred poems? Um, I began writing the pieces in um, in 2020, and uh, after I had maybe about oh I don't know maybe 25 written, I started uh, asking a few friends if they would uh, if they would read them and give me some feedback. And the um, the first draft of the complete book was uh, done, was completed in, in around January of 2021. Uh, um, and then um, in, um, in March of 2021 was when I began talking to Steve uh, at Bent Paddle about the possibility of, of, of getting it uh, published. In fact, my initial thought was that I was going to self-publish the book in a very small print run, and just give it to friends. Mm-hmm. And in the course of our conversation, Steve said to me, you know, I'd really like, like to do this as a Ben Paddle Press title. And, um, you know, once we agreed to that, then, um, then we went from there. That's really a short, short version. Um, and t- when I think about editing and publishing, it takes longer um, what it, I usually ask this at the end, but I'm really curious. What is your editing process? How do you enter the poem and exit the poem? I tend to um, I tend to edit as I go. Okay. And um, when I was when I was working on these, um, I was trying for humor. Mm-hmm. Um, I was insisting uh, that they be surprising, mm-hmm. but but I wasn't, I wasn't afraid to be serious if I thought it fit. Mm-hmm. And I know that, I know this sounds maybe um, cliche, but I, I let the poem tell me when it was done. Um, my desire is always to write longer, but um, if my energy starts to flag or the poem starts going in a different direction than, than I, that I felt wasn't right, I would just stop. Plus, I had given myself the um, the constriction of not going over eight lines, mm-hmm. and um, I also I like poems that zigzag mm-hmm. and yet somehow hold together, and that don't end with a with a predictable resolution. Mm-hmm. So um, those were sort of my thoughts in, in, as I was going along, and um, I actually wrote I think 125 when I was when I was finally done because I knew that going back and looking at it there might be a couple that I might want to swap out which which I did do mm-hmm. but um, but for the most part you know, the book was written in um, in sequence in order Wow so I, I love the constraints that you have that you put upon yourself and I think about I have my own book of rules um, so that's really fascinating. And I don't think it's, I, I don't, I think letting the poem tell you when it's done is really important. So I, I, I cheer you on for that. I, I added a little bit more, but I was really curious because it's really hard to write a funny poem. And I don't know if the WORT audience knows that, but it's much easier to write, I think, an angry political poem as opposed to a funny poem that might have a little bit of a zing to it. Um, because I, I felt like you were providing me with some wisdom as I was reading these poems. 
and I appreciated well, thank that. You. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. You. Yeah. Well, you know, um, I don't know if everybody knows who you are, Ron. So we'll talk about that a little bit more at the end because you have a, a long history with Madison, and I met you many years ago when we moved from Seattle, and I read with my father-in-law Dennis Trudeau when you had a physical store down on State Street, and I think that's oh, the, yes. that's how I met you initially. Yeah. Yes. And. Um, you know, that's, I don't read with my father-in-law anymore, so that was one of the last few times that we did that. Um, so let's, uh, we've talked a lot about the book. I want to remind people that they're listening to Madison Bookbeat and that we're talking with Ron, poet Ron Searswin about his delightful collection, A Hundred Umbrellas, published by Bent Paddle Press out of Middleton, Wisconsin, and it is a lovely book. But let's, let's dig into some of the poems. And um, I know they're really short poems, so what I thought we would do, one, I don't want you to read the whole book and give it all the way because we want people to buy the book, but um, I, I made marks on some of the poems. I thought it made more sense to read the first five, and then we'll talk about those five. We'll start there. Oh. Does that sound okay? Okay. okay. If, that's, if that's how you'd like to begin, sure. Well, I, and you just told me you wrote all these in sequential order, so my poet mind is a little bit blown that uh, you did that in such a sequential order, but, you know, I think that's great. Okay. Um, all right, I'll just, I'll just start in and read the first five. Um, be, before I do that, I will say this. I, was, um, I read uh, the book um, last year uh, at uh, Woodland Pattern in Milwaukee. I, re- I read portions of the book. Okay. And um, I was always struggling with um, the best way to, to, to describe the book. And I finally settled on the idea that the way to think of this book is to think of it as an instruction manual for and a commentary on the proper use of the umbrella. <laughs> okay. One. Perfectly, let air blow through. Look elegant. Be embarrassed, wooed by a dream. Hold in one hand a full bag of laundry, miraculously. (laughs) Two, with precision and grace, walk a little taller, ridiculously, circling a few blocks. Ka-chunk, a big whoosh. Forget. It's like being in a bubble. Three, dump water down your side. Lighter, feel cumbersome. At a full sprint with the heft of a bodega. Polka dotted impressively below the waist. Four, deep ink. Virtually, straining, stay very dry. Think, thunk, sorry, thunk, almost drum-like, soft as a pound cake. Five, seem inelegant, noticeably just right, insanely large, surprisingly fancier. A little damp, more windy than wet. Ah, lovely. I was wondering how you would read the lines when I was reading the book. And um, I just want to start with one. You start with this adverb, right, which is perfectly. And then what I really liked about that first part was hold in one hand a full bag of laundry. And that line is really long, you know, and you feel the weight of it. And then you end... Mm -hmm miraculously with another adverb yeah and then in two um i just like how you start you know with precision and grace walk a little taller and then when you said circling a few blocks ka-chunk a big whoosh that's just very lovely sound in there so i I really appreciated that in three which i thought was hilarious um, I don't know if everybody knows what a bodega is. Do you want to tell people what a bodega <laughs> is? <laughs> well, um, 
it's it's been a, it's been a long time, but um, as I recall, a bodega is a uh, I guess you could describe it as a kind of like a gross corner grocery store. Mm-hmm. Would that would, would that be a mm-hmm. kind mm-hmm. of an accurate uh, description? Yeah, a neighborhood uh, mm-hmm. a neighborhood store. Mm-hmm. And I feel like a bodega is just bursting with like food, specialty food, maybe, you know, food from different cultures. I'm thinking Mexican or Puerto Rican food. And right, just, right. Just yeah, jammed. Yeah, definitely, definitely yeah. Mexican, Puerto Rican. Yeah. 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 So th- this is a lovely piece. I hope you don't mind if I read it. Um, dump, down, dump water down your sides, lighter, feel cumbersome at a full sprint with the heft of a bodega, polka-dotted, impressively below the waist. This I love so much. I marked lines five through eight because when you say the heft of a bodega, I'm thinking some really big umbrella, right? (laughs) (laughs) And then you talk polka dotted impressively below the waist, which makes me think of kind of someone who's a little larger and a little heavier below the waist. So this one um, was the first one I started. I like to write in poems. So if you were ever to pick up this book, you'd see I made a lot of notes. But uh, that's just really beautiful. Oh, good. You said so much with so little, and that to me is a is a sign of a of a good poet. Yeah, so that one in particular, I could really see that. And then we get to uh, four, and this one's a little bit different, but I really appreciated the thunk, almost drum-like, soft as a pound cake, like with the thunk echoing with the drum-like that that you. I really like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I focus really closely on the on the reading. Um, and I really like to look at it on the page. And then um, what you can't see is that in five, you have just right in quotation marks, right? So it's like another right. voice coming in. Yeah. So you five says, seem inelegant, noticeably just right, insanely large, surprisingly fancier, a little damp, more windy than wet. Like, that's just hilarious, Ron. That's just funny. I don't know if other people have read your poems back to you in an interview. Has that happened to you before? Uh, this is the first interview. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm happy to be the first, but, um, you know, someone said they are a poet's poet, and I think of you as a poet's poet. And I want to ask okay. you before we read more, how long have you been writing poems, Ron? Because I know you were, you know, you are a bookseller. Uh, I remember meeting Susan Elby and you and and so but how long have you been writing poems um i i started uh what i would consider to be fairly late in life i think um when i was in college i i made a very um um short (laughs) um weak attempt to write a few poems and um uh and then never pursued it and I didn't think about it again, I think, until I was in my 40s. Mm-hmm. So uh, I started relatively late. And um, I'm, not, I'm not what I, what you would call a prolific writer. Um, I'm not even a, a, a consistent writer. I'll, I'll go in spurts and starts and stops. Um, but I've been, you know, writing on and off for about the last 30, 30 years or so. Hmm. Hmm. Well, that's fascinating. And I think 40s is like a prime time to start writing. Yeah. Well, well, I, I've, I've always been envious of people who, you know, you, you read about that, you know, wrote their first poem when they were seven years old, you know, and, and never <laughs> and never stopped, you know, um, I've always been sort of jealous of those of those folks. But, um, uh, you know, I, I've always felt that um, literally everyone has at least one good poem in them. Mm-hmm. And you know, some of us are fortunate to, uh, to have the opportunity to, to, uh, to work on it and, and maybe get it out. And then maybe that um, gives people the incentive to try it again and to mm-hmm. write more. And mm-hmm. I, was, I was fortunate enough, um, I was in Madison at the time, and I was fortunate enough to meet people who were very supportive, uh, people like the late Susan L.B., mm-hmm. uh, Dale Kushner, Robin Chapman, 
Rich, the late Richard Rowe and, and a number of other people who, um, who I got to know through poetry and, uh, the, the, of course, the Wisconsin Fellowship of Poets. So mm-hmm. um, I, you know, I consider myself very fortunate, and I've made some, some good friends along the way. Mm-hmm. Well, someone who started writing at the age of seven, like myself, I'm going to tell you that wasn't a very good poem at the age of seven. No need to feel jealous. And there were no good poems probably written until I was in my 20s and had been working for a long time on it. So um, we may start writing early, but, you know, what is it? You know, it's just scribbles on a page and a desire to, I guess, be a writer. Yeah. 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 But all of that, you know, all of that contributes to, to what eventually comes. So. Yeah. Well, and I don't know when you came to Madison, um, but um, I think it's, as long as I've been in Madison, I've been aware of you um, through AVOLs and, and through the poetry scene. So it's surprising to hear you started at 40, but why not, you know? Anyway, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, is there a portion that you really, really want to read today? Because I have my own thing, but I want to honor your time and this is your time, and poets don't get 50 minutes on air. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I, I, I don't have any, okay. any particular uh, sections in, uh, in mind. If there's something that you'd like, excuse me, that you'd like me to read, I'd be happy to do it. Okay. Well, then we'll keep going with my list here. Um, could you read poems 6 through 10? Okay. And then we'll talk about them. Six. Imagine a top-hatted gentleman, baby, almost accidentally, in an open field during a windstorm, out by the water, exacerbated, carrying a few bags, not particularly special. Seven. Left behind, walk with minimal movements around the wind, a long stroll in the wilderness of all signaling shapes. Eight, some want a higher thread count. Others want a canopy made out of bleak spirits, the world's finest shade to go with it. Nine, once the rain stops, it is raining. A lot of ground, definitely hogging space. A slight swaying, though it never felt like it, taking up the sidewalk's air. Ten, comically, touch anything. The circumference is so vast. Hold it, tiring out. That way comes from all directions. Hmm. So I have to say it. Um, I was reading these and I was thinking there's so much wisdom within these eight-lined poems and, and seriousness and wit. And I can see in some of these poems that I'm going to ask you to read, the pandemic and our new reality expressed in these poems. And then sometimes I honestly, Ron, just laughed out loud and snorted and told my husband, you got to read this. Um, But I love the whimsical and the absurdity mixed with lines that feel like a comment on our society. And there seems to be different voices in these poems. I don't know if you played with that or not. Yes, yes. I I did try to, when I was... um, I, I, I should, I guess, I should mention uh, or reiterate that that these are collaged. Um, these were these were taken uh, from online sources. Um, a lot of uh, advertisements and reviews about the umbrella. Hmm. And um, I, I like one of the things that I like to do or try to do is to work with found texts hmm. and to and to or to appropriate uh, texts. And so I was looking for, for words, phrases, and I was trying to find uh, ways or, or, uh, that where they would kind of play off each other. Hmm. They would maybe spark something or, or there'd be a little slippage from one line to the next. Mm-hmm. Um, so 
so I had I had those thoughts, <clears throat> excuse me, in mind. And even though it was written during the pandemic, I didn't want it to be about the pandemic. Mm-hmm. But it couldn't help uh, mm-hmm. but creep but creep in in a couple places, I guess. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so now that you say that. Um, I look at six and the first two lines, imagine a top hatted gentleman baby, you know, so now I'm, I'm seeing some ad, you know, um, which I don't know if it's true or not, but that's where my mind goes. And when you write a poem and you send it out into the world, other people make meaning of it, which I like, you know, so what it means yes. to you, you don't own that necessarily because other people are going to take your art and they're going to put all sorts of things on it, which I think is important, like with a painting or a poem. And then in seven, um, it's just a, it's a really nice image. Left behind, walk with minimal movements around the wind, a long stroll in the wilderness of all signaling shapes. You know, I, walking to me is meditation. And um, I love how that's captured in that. But eight was one of the ones that just made me really laugh. Someone mm-hmm. to higher thread count. That's hilarious. I like high thread counts personally. So <laughs> I saw myself in this. Others want a canopy made out of bleak spirits. Like who wants bleak spirits? Um, the world's finest shade to go with it. So, you know, it, it might maybe is a commentary on consumerism or, a, you know, but it, it just that one to me is just really funny. And it's done in such a deadpan kind of way, too, which really resonates with me. Mm hmm. And then, Thank yeah. you. Oh, you're welcome. I mean, I love funny. I, I married my husband because he made me laugh in some ways that no one else can. And I think humor is um, really underrated. And, and, and not cruel hu- humor, but just funny. Um, and then um, in seven, you have, you have the rain taking up sidewalks air, taking up the sidewalks air. Like, who thinks of that, you know? That, that's where the absurdity comes in that I think is just really so refreshing. And we've been doing, you know, Madison Book Beat for the last year. And, and honestly, most things aren't that funny. So it's really nice to have this. Um, and then we get to 10, which is kind of an, you said this was kind of instruction. You're thinking about how to phrase this book, and it's kind of instructional. Mm-hmm. And this one speaks to that quite well. Comically touch anything. The circumference is so vast. Hold it. it. That's great. Yeah. And that way comes from all directions. So I don't know if you thought about, you know, sharing your wisdom with the audience or with your readership, but it's in here, Ron. Well, I, I appreciate that. Thank you so much. I mean, it certainly wasn't my intent to try to uh, be some kind of uh, purveyor of, of wisdom. Um, I've always chafed a little bit when people would talk about poetry in terms of mm. quote unquote wisdom statements. Mm-hmm. Um, but if if that comes through in in the book, if people are getting that from it, um, that's you know uh, that's very flattering and and I like that. You know, um, I haven't um, I haven't heard from a lot of people uh, who who have the book, mm-hmm. but um, you know I have heard from some. And um, some people have enjoyed it. Other people have kind of scratched their head and said, oh, I, don't, I don't really get it. Hmm. But, um, but that's okay. Yeah. That's okay. Well, it's charmingly funny, you know, and whether or not you are trying to um, provide wisdom within the wit and the absurdity, it's still there. Um, and, you know, for people who say, I, you know, I don't get it, that was a common thing I've heard. Um, we have a mutual acquaintance or friend, um, Margaret Rosga, Peggy Rosga, and that was one of the things she talked about during her poet laureateship. She'd go out and people would say, oh, I don't really get poetry. But then she would ask them about their favorite poem and they would certainly have one. So mm-hmm. I, I think poetry exists for many reasons. Um, but one of them also is to kind of make fun of the situation we find ourselves in, which you do beautifully. Um, like in poem 11, which um, I will have you read, you have Dapper Dan in there. And... Um, I know Dapper Dan from a Coen Brothers movie, but I don't know how you know Dapper Dan or why it's in there. But th- that's a cultural thing, right? From a different time. Yes. Um, I'm trying to remember. I think um, somehow um, 
the, uh, the reference came from I think it was a British review of um, of the of uh, of some umbrella products, and there was a reference to a to a specific individual that was referred to as Dapper Dan. But of course, that's a phrase um, that uh, that's pretty common or was common in I, I think American uh, the American idiom. You know, for somebody to be a Dapper Dan mm. was uh, someone who was um, well dressed, maybe a little, maybe a little dr- uh, overly dressed. Mm. Uh, but I just loved the, the the phrase when I when I came across it, and I wanted to work it into one of the poems. Mm-hmm. Well, you do well with that. Yeah, I know it as a as a man's hair cream is how I recognized it. Okay. Yeah. Well, let's have you read eleven, twelve. 13, 14, and 15, and I definitely want to talk a little bit more about number 12, because okay. that one, that one was a, that one cracked me up too. 11. Quickly, a blast of wind, overly big, like Dapper Dan in a loud, difficult scarf. 12. Of all things transparent, rave. It's a windshield. It's an election. Love the rainbow. It's hard to see that happening. The sky has plastic safety tips on the grayest day. Thirteen. A birdcage. Inside a deep canopy of color Stride among vintage stationery. Cocoon yourself by the sea that shrinks to fit your pocket. Fourteen. It still blooms to shelter you. May feel tempted. Try not to. The sun's rays of steel match the strength of traditionalists. Fifteen, searching for your flask, brass knuckles, while walking in unfamiliar territory, observing, if it has one, meaning. Mm, thank you. Thank you, Ron. We talked about Dapper Dan, but the, the in a loud, difficult scarf is, is really funny, and I, I really appreciate your imagination. I really do. Um, and then when we get to 12, uh, you have in line three, it's a windshield, exclamation part. It's an election, exclamation part. Like, you know, having gone through what we've gone through in our country, I just found that hilarious. And then you go, love the rainbow next, you know, just you keep whipping us around in this wind. Um, but plastic safety tips on the grayest day. The sky has plastic safety tips on the grayest day. How do you see plastic safety tips um well of course it was it was taken from a description of something else okay but um but i guess it was meant to uh counter um you know uh some of the some of the um uh emotion or feeling that was that was happening Mm. earlier in the poem okay okay well i thought it was an interesting phrase um and then it's so evocative to see 13, a birdcage inside a deep canopy of color, stride th- among vintage stationery. That's just lovely, you know, and, and we don't see a lot of color, which I thought was interesting, but it, I don't think it's, I'm not saying that's, you know, bad or anything, I just I notice it. And then you have cocoon yourself by the sea that drinks to fit your pocket, or that shrinks to fit your pocket. So just a really lovely eight-line poem there is in 13 that could stand all by itself without this collection. Yeah. There were, there were moments where um, I just, um, I loved the, uh, the images that, were, that, the, that the, the language I was coming across seemed mm. to evoke. And sometimes it was just fun to build, to build on the images mm-hmm. or, to, or, to, or, to, or to stack them, like in this case. Mm-hmm. For sure. I like doing image-based narrative, and I could totally see that when you say that. And you, you said the word fun, which poetry is fun. We're playing with language. I mean, why do we do it otherwise? 
So it is fun to play with that. I do like vintage stationery, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. And then we get to 14. Um, yeah. The, match the strength of traditionalist. Now, you know, not being a traditionalist, I found that really funny. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know if you want to say more about that. But I liked how you juxtaposed the sun's rays of steels match the strength of traditionalists. Just a really nice comparison there. There were there were moments, and, and this is one of them where I where I was juxtaposing things, um, and they they don't necessarily make uh, sense uh, at first. I mean, I think this is where some of the absurdity comes in, or some of the playfulness that um, you, you're going to have to make of that what you will. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, being a free spirit poet, I really liked that um, last line, match the strength of traditionalists, because why couldn't absurdity match the strength of traditionalists? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then in 15, you have some really nice playing with language here. You have flask and brass knuckles, and I liked how you have the K in the flask and in the knuckles and the flat A in the flask and the brass and how they are on top of one another. So I was doing some really close reading here, Ron. Um, Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I was, I was hoping that, that people would, um, would, would notice or pay, a little, pay some attention to the, uh, the sounds mm -hmm. and um, how some of the lines were broken and, and kind of uh, slip, into the, uh, slip into the next line. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I tried not to um, belabor that mm -hmm. point, but I, I did try to, uh, to do uh, things like that throughout the book. Well, now that you say that, I see even more connections because there's flask and knuckles and walking, and we have that nice K sound. But I see in the first line you have searching for your flask is on the second line, you know, so it, it kind of does move you to searching for the flask. But, you know, I, I pay close attention, and um, I really like how you have, uh, while walking in unfamiliar territory, observing, and then you have, in brackets, if it has one, meaning. And so there's a lot of play in here. And while it may be going back and forth, there's still a lot of truth in on this. So... I would recommend people to do a really close reading of your work uh, because there's a lot here. And even though within these eight lines, uh, you can take this in so many, almost in eight different directions, every line. Yeah. It's, it's gratifying to hear you say that. Thank you. Well, um, you know, my, my day job is one, and I have another job as the Poet Laureate. And, um, <laughs> <laughs> and I really enjoy, you know, spending time with people's work, and I know what it takes to write a poem. And so I, I pay attention to where you have brackets and to where you break a line and where you have quotation marks or where another voice might come in. So those things really matter to me as a poet. And one of the things as the Madison Book Beat host for um, this time is I, I really, I read your work, I pay attention to your work, um, and I want to elevate your work. And other people should know that they're living in a land of many poets and um, they all should get your book. But this should be a good time for us to talk about where people can get your book. Okay. Well, um, the, the book is available at um, a room of one's own bookstore in Madison. Um, it is available at Woodland Pattern Bookstore in Milwaukee. And, of course, it can be uh, purchased directly from Ben Paddle Press. And uh, they can be found at benpaddlepress.com. All right. And do you have a website, Ron, or can people follow you on Facebook or anything? And do you do social um, media? I, I have a. Uh, I am on Facebook. Um, I do have a um, uh, Instagram account as well. Um, and if you know, if people want to send me a friend request, I'm happy to entertain it. All right. So before we have you read more poems, I wanted to ask you about the literary scene here in Madison and how you've seen it change. Or not change. <clears throat> that's uh, that's a question that'll take another show. Oh. I think. <laughs> uh, okay. Do you, but, have a, um, do you have a Reader's Digest version? <laughs> <laughs> well, of course. You know, when I had um, my brick and mortar store downtown, 
State Street. Mm-hmm. Um, we we had the pleasure of hosting um, numerous readings, both from the creative writing program on campus, mm. as well as um, you know uh, uh, local uh, Madison poets. Um, occasionally, uh, poets coming to Madison from out of town would read at the store, and uh, that was probably one of one of the most favorite um, aspects. My favorite aspects about having the brick and mortar store. Um, after it closed, um, I continued to host uh, an open mic at a couple of different venues in, in the city, and. Um, it, it just seemed to me that there were fewer and fewer places to go uh, for readings. But then, fortunately, the Arts and Literature Laboratory came along, and um, you know they've moved, of course, from their original location on Winnebago Street now to the, now to uh, near Livingston, near East Washington, and I think they've filled uh, the gap. Uh, a large part of the gap uh, in the literary scene uh, with with the uh, events that they're able to have, not only poetry readings, but um, the uh, the music events and the art gallery. So um, I think the Arts and Literature Lab is a huge plus for Madison and an organization that people should, should really go out and support. Um, I understand, you know, things kind of uh, went uh, radio silent with uh, COVID. Um, I, I'm not as involved in the um, in the open mic scene as, as I used to be, but I understand that there are now a few places around Madison that are having uh, open mic readings again. So it sounds like it may be uh, making a comeback, hmm. but um, it certainly has changed. Um, in the time that I've been here, mm-hmm. I've been in Madison, um, but um, I have, um, you know, I have great, great hopes for the literary scene in Madison. It's always there's always been a strong literary scene here, and um, and I think it's going to continue and it's going to thrive. You know, Ron, um, you brought up um, Milwaukee Woodland Pattern and um, Madison's Art Lit Lab and. Um, I think of those two institutions as really anchoring the arts. Um, both do music. One's a bookstore. One has a library. Um, but they have visual art, and they bring in really amazing artists, writers, musicians to the community. A lot of it's free programming, but um, I echo that. I've seen Art Lit Lab go from that tiny brick area um, that they had to where they have now with parking, which... Um, parking's always a, a big deal in Madison. It's hard to find. So I look forward to the future. Um, and I didn't know the open mics were going back up, but um, that's great because I think when you're starting out as a poet or even when you're working on your work, it, it's different when you read it aloud to other people. It's different than in your home. And I don't know about you, but I always read my poems aloud when I edit, and that's my process. But when I go into an open mic or a reading and I share the poem for the first time with others, it sounds different at that moment than it did when I was mm-hmm. by myself. Yeah. Yeah. So we're, believe it or not, we're getting close to our time, but I would really like to um, hear you read a couple more poems. And um, if you could turn to page or to poem 39. That one was just a really good one that I'd like to share with the audience. Okay. 39. It's that time of year again. Time for walking into images. Mother Nature will throw a big punch for generations. It probably has to do with the President of the United States. (laughs) That's hilarious. Okay. Um, I'm going to have you read one more, and as you get to it, um, I'm going to have you read the last poem in the book, actually. Um, I thought we would close with that, but I want to remind people that we are Madison BookBeat. You're listening to uh, 89.9 WORT. This is Community Radio. We're Madison BookBeat. 
I'm Auntie Trudel Vasquez. We're listening to Ron Serswin read from A Hundred Umbrellas. And if you've got that poem, I'll let you read uh, the last poem. One hundred. Everyone, head down and trudging through the rain. Everyone, quicker than you can say, chant. Everyone wants to restore the balance. Let me start by saying. Ron, that is a perfect way to end. I love that you don't have a period there. Let me start by saying. I'm going to close this out and just say thank you to you. Thank you for speaking with me on Madison Bookbeat. I'm your host, Angie Trudel Vasquez. Stay tuned for All Around Jazz with Alex Welding White. The Assurgent Radio Kiosk is up next. And please listen to the music, um, which is Spark Hammer Music. And as we close out, keep it tuned here to Community Radio WRT 89.9 FM. Thank you, Ron. Thank you, Angie.